0: And I need you, oh.
1: Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We are in the second week of our Prove It series. We are going through the book of 1 John together. The book of 1 John was really written at its core to give assurance to believers. And so that is my hope and that's Wes's hope as we work through this together that people will realize that they have indicators or fruits that are evident in their life that... um, accord with or give evidence to the the support that support the claim they make that, that they believe in Jesus. So as we go through this together, I hope that your assurance and your salvation is increased. Now, that might not happen. You might realize as we go through this series that many of the indicators or the fruits that John speaks of aren't present in your life. And that could be cause for alarm, but it doesn't have to be because Jesus died for all of us. He paid the penalty for each and every one of us. So regardless of where you're at, whether you realize, man, my life doesn't look like it's supposed to, or you realize, wow, I'm not perfect, but I do have a lot of these characteristics or these fruits in my life that John is speaking about, wherever you're at in that spectrum, the end result is the same, that you can have assurance of salvation if you turn to Jesus and trust in him And so we're working through that together. I'm excited for it. Wes is bringing the the message this morning to you, so you want to stay tuned to that. Super helpful. I think you'll find it encouraging. And uh, yeah, before we get into that, I want to give you an update. You know, I told you last week that our elders have been meeting weekly. We met again last night. Today is Friday morning as I record this. We met last night for about an hour and a half, a little over that, to discuss what the future looks like. We've been talking about how do we have church, what does the church look like, well, we're not able to gather corporately. We've been ramping up our small groups. Hopefully, you've, you've received some sort of communication from myself or Wes or elders or your small group leader. If you have not, man, pick up the phone and give me a ring, give Wes a ring. You should have our numbers in the bulletin. If you don't, my cell phone number is 419 262 0086. I would love to hear from you. We don't want anybody to feel like they haven't been cared for or haven't been looked after during this time. So, if we've missed you, I apologize. Give me a call. I want to touch base. We want to make sure that everybody's being taken care of. To that end, one of the reasons that maybe some people have fallen through the cracks is because we haven't been meeting together on a regular basis corporately. I have some news regarding that. We are hoping tentatively to have some type of service, a slow reopen to our our corporate gathering on May 10th. May 10th, that's the second Sunday in May. We're not sure exactly what that's going to look like yet. We want to make sure that as we reopen, we do so safely. So there's more information coming in from the governor about what certain things look like and guidelines. We might have two services. We're still talking about childcare, all of that stuff. There's a lot of details that we need to hammer out yet. Um, but that is, for right now, that is based on the, the data that we've seen and the numbers that have been coming in across the, the country and the globe. We feel that May 10th is a, is a good time to, to start a slow reopening to a corporate gathering. We want to see your faces. I know you're probably sick of seeing Wes and Mai's face, but we want to be able to talk with one another and, and make sure that we can um, gather together and not neglect that like the Bible tells us to. So that's our hope. That's what we're working for. Stay tuned for more updates in, in, the, in regards to what those those services or those gatherings will look like. We've been saying this. I'm going to keep saying this. If you are at a high-risk category, um, more susceptible to the COVID virus, or if you just plain don't feel comfortable, there is no shame, there is no condemnation. And in fact, we would, we would probably advise you, your elders would say, you know, it's probably okay and, and you probably should Sit it out for a while, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month or two. Um, we don't want anybody to feel pressure, and, and, and there is no pressure. We want to provide opportunities for people that are ready to start to reconnect in a safe manner, respecting social distancing, all of that stuff like our government is asking us to do. But for people that are ready for that, we want to provide that. And for those that aren't, we respect you. We will. We we love you, and uh, and we think that for you, that's probably the the best decision. So. That's kind of where we're at. That's what we know. That's what we're working towards. We'll continue to know or continue to tell you what we know as we know it. And uh, stay tuned to your, to your emails and um, your, your Facebook feed, the website. We'll, we'll post things that you need to know on all of those avenues so information will be easily accessible to you all. So that's where we're at. That's what we know. With that in mind, let me pray for us. And then we can hear from Pastor Wes and uh, hopefully be encouraged by a message from 1 John chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are true. I've never been more um, encouraged to know that I have a foundation of truth to stand upon in your scriptures than during this time. There has been a lot of information. There's always been a lot of information. You can find anything you want on the internet. But I know that when I open your word, I'm not going to have to sit through fact or fiction that it is going to be true rock solid truth that i can build my life upon i praise you for that father i pray that you would continue to give us wisdom as we think what as we think through um, what it looks like for us to to gather we want to do that safely we want to do that wisely we want to do that in under the authority of the leaders that you have put around us lord we do not want to do that in a spirit of rebellion and lord that that's not at all what what we're feeling uh, we love your people. We want to care for your people. And so I pray that you would continue to give us wisdom as we think through that. I pray that you'd speak through Wes during this time, Lord. He put a great, great message together, unpacking some truth from Scripture. I pray that you'd encourage us and that you would increase our our assurance of salvation. And, Father, that you'd also bring about conviction. Um, If any one of us has sin in our life, I pray that we wouldn't feel condemnation but that we would feel a holy conviction about it, that we'd turn from it, turn it over to you, receive your forgiveness, and that you would help us to walk in a way where shame and fear and guilt don't paralyze us. That is not what you died for, and I praise you for that. So may we receive the freedom of confession this morning, the freedom of salvation that Jesus Christ brings through his death and resurrection. We love you, Lord. We ask this all in your name for your glory. Amen.
0: Welcome. I'm glad to be with you as we start our second week of our uh, Prove It teaching series on the book of 1 John. Uh, If you don't already have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one or a a Bible app. Uh, I think there are some things we're going to look at today that will be a lot clearer if you actually have your Bible in front of you. And I want to remind you that if you have a Bible, if you feel led at some point, you may want to underline something, highlight something, it's always perfectly okay to to underline or highlight something in your Bible. Uh, Sometimes when you look at that passage a second time, it's just really, really helpful. So uh, feel free to do that. Have you ever noticed that when you come across something that's really valuable, There's always somebody who will eventually try to make a copy of it to sell for profit. They'll make a a fake. By definition, something that's fake is not genuine. It's a forgery or a counterfeit. Right now, there are actually some unscrupulous people that are making fake Babe Ruth autograph baseballs. Some of them are making fake diamond jewelry, or even fake $100 bills. A well-made fake looks real, and that's why people get away with it. However, if you know what to look for, you can almost always identify a fake. Take a Rolex watch, for example. Rolex is a a Swiss-made watch company that's been making high-end watches for years. If you want to look at one, check with Earl George. I think he's got a couple of those laying around. Uh, As I've read, an entry-level Rolex watch will set you back about $5,000. You can actually spend $10,000 and even some of the more expensive ones have gone for a half a million dollars. You can easily spend that kind of money. It's not uncommon to find fake Rolex watches being sold at discounted prices. Now, I'm personally not a jeweler, and I'm not a watch expert, but I can guarantee that I will never buy a fake Rolex watch. The main reason I'll never buy a fake Rolex watch is that I don't have $5,000 to spend on a watch. The other reason I'm never gonna get taken and buy a fake Rolex watch is because I know what a real Rolex is supposed to look and feel like. Because of the quality materials that are used and the quality metals, a real Rolex watch is actually quite heavy for a watch. Another thing, uh, a real Rolex watch has a second hand that just continuously runs. It doesn't stagger or tick like most watches do. You can actually put a real Rolex watch up to your ear, and if you hear a tick of any kind, then you know it's a fake. Finally, in an authentic Rolex watch, the the little lens over the date in the watch actually magnifies the date. The absence of any of these features that I described make it pretty easy to identify a fake. Again, all you need to know is what to look for. In the same way, the Apostle John wanted believers in the early church and believers today to know the difference between genuine faith in Jesus Christ and fake faith. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, John writes these words. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. It's important as we get started to realize that at this time in the history of the church, there were members of a false teaching group that had a very different understanding of what it meant to be an authentic follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. They were actually confusing people in the church and leading them astray. Now, most Bible scholars believe that at the time this letter was written, John was the only apostle that was still alive. As such, John had an incredible amount of influence and authority in the early church. After all, others had heard about the teachings of Jesus. John had actually heard Jesus teach. Others had been told about the miracles that Jesus did. John actually saw Jesus call Lazarus from the grave others had heard about what the crucifixion was like Jesus was at or or John rather was at the crucifixion of Jesus standing next to his mother many had heard that Jesus rose from the grave and later ascended to heaven the apostle John actually saw these things with his own eyes John understood better than anyone else alive at the time the sacrifice that Jesus had made for people. He wasn't about to allow a bunch of false teachers to take over the church. So, in a moment, we're going to take a look at the second half of the first chapter of 1 John. As we do, it will be helpful to understand Two of the lies that these false teachers were spreading at the time. Lie number one is this. They had uh, been telling people that they had some sort of special truth or knowledge that was actually higher in authority than scripture. Now, I hope I don't need to tell you that whenever human ideas are used to judge God's thoughts and ideas, we have a problem. We'll see in our text for today that John reminds the church that there is absolutely no thought or no idea or no knowledge that is higher than God's. And yet, we don't have to look very far in our own culture, in our own world, to see people reject the timeless truths of God for morals and values simply because they're accepted in our culture. So lie number one is that there was some sort of of special truth out there that was higher in authority than God's. Lie number two was that everything was made that everything that was made of physical matter is actually evil, but the spirit is good. Everything that's made of physical matter is evil, but the spirit inside of someone is good. And this belief was. Uh, actually propagated by philosophers of the day. And this is what it led to. The false teachers eventually believed that it really didn't matter how you lived. You could even indulge in sin, but the spirit in you was still good, so it just didn't matter. Some pretty mixed up thoughts. So, okay, let's take a look at 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 5-10. And as I read, please keep in mind these two lies that the false teachers are spreading. First, that they came across a spiritual truth or knowledge that was higher than God's truth and knowledge. And second, that it really didn't matter how you lived, that it was actually possible to honor God and indulge in sin at the same time. After we look at the text... I want to point out one incredibly important uh, foundational truth about the nature and character of God that John makes. And then following that, we're going to look at two more of the proofs or the signs that, that John gives of what authentic faith actually looks like. So follow along as I read 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. And his word is not in us. Now, as I mentioned, contained in those five verses is a foundational truth about God that leads us to two questions that can help us determine whether a person has authentic faith in Jesus or whether they're an imposter, a fake. Now, we can always use the Bible as kind of a set of binoculars to look into the uh, lives of other people. But it's most helpful to use the Bible as a mirror that we can look into and it helps us better take a look into our own lives. So in a moment when we ask these two questions, we're gonna do so from a very personal kind of a way. For most of you that are listening, I believe that this section of God's word is going to help affirm your authentic faith in Jesus. Towards that end, later in John's letter, if you want to look at it in chapter 5, verse 13, John actually states that he's writing this letter to the church so that they will know they have eternal life. These signs of authentic faith should encourage us in our faith. Or maybe for some, it might help understand that uh, you don't actually have authentic saving faith. And while that's not good in some ways, in another way, it is a good thing because until Jesus comes again, he has an open invitation for any to come and to take hold of his grace and his mercy and his love. Before we get to those two questions, let's look again at at verse 5, It provides a foundational truth about God. John writes, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So last week, John introduced his letter in verse 1 by reminding the church that the message hasn't changed he made it clear that that the message didn't originate with he or any of the original disciples or or apostles. In fact, it's not at all a message from God, or from man, rather, it's a message from God. In verse five, John declares that message again. He restates it this way. He says, God is light. Now, in the Bible, light is light. And darkness are commonly used symbols. Intellectually, light refers to truth, and darkness refers to things that are false. Morally, light refers to holiness or purity, and darkness refers to evil or sin. So, some of you right now may want to underline this phrase in your Bible God is light. And then right in the margin, God is 100% truthful and 100% pure. Now we could spend hours upon hours thinking deeply about just that statement, and that would not be a waste of time. However, for our purposes today, think about how helpful those words would be to the early group of churches in the region of Ephesus they've heard and followed the teachings of Jesus, probably at this time, some of them maybe 40, 50, or maybe even 60 years. And then some well-dressed, smooth-talking teachers start to try to convince them that there's some sort of a, a higher truth to consider. And that higher truth actually suggests that whatever you do with your body doesn't matter because the spirit within you is above that and separate from that so you can indulge in whatever lifestyle that you want. More than likely, some in the church had probably seen some of their friends or their family members leave the church and join these false teachers. The people in these churches knew the apostle John well, and they trusted him. Like a a grandchild who receives a letter from a, a wise and a loving grandparent, John's letter had to be so incredibly reassuring to the church. Essentially, John writes, nope, there is absolutely no special knowledge or truth that you need. There's never going to be a truth higher than God or higher than the message that we've already given you. Stick with the same message that you have. Here it is again. God is light and in him, there is no darkness. John reminds the church that God is absolutely perfect in knowledge and in character. He's completely holy and perfect and truthful. In him, there is not even a hint of darkness. There's not a hint of dishonesty or deceit. You know, this statement God is light actually helps us answer one of the age-old questions that people have about God. You may have heard people say things like if God really is love, how could he ever judge someone and send them to hell? Well, that's because because God is light, he's 100% pure and holy. His character actually dictates or demands that he judge sin. Think of it this way. If someone stole your car, and then the the judge let the thief who stole your car keep your car, simply because the thief liked your car better than their own, what kind of a judge would they be? Yes, God's holy character demands that he judge sin, but his love compelled him to pay the eternal price tag for that sin in our place. So, for the benefit of the true believers in the churches at that time, and as a word of warning to false believers trying to steal some sheep, John restates this foundational truth about God's character and his nature. This isn't new information. In bringing up light and darkness john begins to refute this idea that sin doesn't matter john continues to make his argument with three statements that all begin with the phrase if we claim take a look at your bible and notice in verses 6 8 and 10 all of them start with the the phrase if we claim some translations might say if we say within these three if we claim statements are two helpful proofs or signs of authentic faith that we can turn to in order to help us answer the question, do we have authentic faith? So look again at verses 6 and 7. John writes, if we claim, there's the first statement, to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John almost seems to be speaking directly to the false teachers and to the people considering following the false teachers. These people all claimed to actually have a, a relationship with God, but they also claimed that it didn't matter how you lived. They believed that you could indulge in immorality and it had no consequence on you spiritually. That's crazy talk. Who could think like that, right? I mean, who could possibly think that a person could claim to be a follower of Jesus but live any way they want to and still go to heaven? I hope you detect a little sarcasm in in my voice because sadly, many of us know self-proclaimed Christians who may not say it in the way that the false teachers do, but they believe that because they prayed some sort of a prayer at some point, it made them a Christian. It also gave them a pass to basically live their life any way they want to live. And John says, no, that's actually not true. It doesn't work that way at all. John says, you can't be in fellowship with the light and yet willingly walk in darkness. John is saying you can't be an authentic follower of Jesus and have your life characterized by sin. Now, church, listen closely. John is not talking about a person who struggles with sin. All Christians continue to struggle with sin in general. A helpful phrase that I heard many years ago goes like this. A Christian is not sinless, but a Christian should sin less. Think about that as I say that again. A Christian is not sinless. They're not without sin, but a Christian should sin less. One of the primary signs or or features of authentic faith is genuine life transformation. God changes us from the inside out. As Christians, we all continue to struggle with sin and we will continue to struggle with sin until we go to heaven. We all have sin issues that we're not even aware of. John is not saying that in order to have an authentic faith, you have to be perfect. He's saying authentic faith will begin and continue to change you and change your life. You will begin to have a desire to walk in the light, to live a life that's pleasing to God. This brings us to the first of the two simple questions that we can ask ourselves. Proof question number one is simply this, am I walking in the light? Am I walking in the light? Can I and others see evidence of change in my life? Do I do my best to walk the talk? Do I desire in any way to obey God more today than I did when I first came and gave my life to Him? Even when I fail, do I trust and understand that His ways actually are better than my ways? Am I, in general, making some progress towards uh, living a God honoring life? Now, you might say, Wes, I can honestly say yes to all of that. I understand what you're talking about. I'm actually doing my best to walk in the light, but I still mess up a lot. Sometimes I wonder if I'm really saved. I want to stop you right right now with that, If, if you're thinking that. Hold on to that thought for just a moment because John is going to address that very thing in just a minute. This is so important that before we move on to the second question that's going to encourage us, it's really going to encourage us uh, in our faith, Um, especially if you're discouraged with sin that still exists in your life, I need to reemphasize what John is pointing out in verse 6. He says again, if we claim to have fellowship with him, Yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Church, John is not sugarcoating anything. This is my paraphrase of what he's saying. He's saying essentially that you can't intentionally live like hell and think that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Again, church, John is not talking about a Christian who still struggles with sin. He's talking about a person who claims to be in fellowship with God or have a relationship with God, but there's absolutely no evidence that God is at the steering wheel of their life. Many of you have heard this question, but I think it's worth repeating here. It really fits what John is saying. Some have asked, if it were illegal to follow Jesus Christ... Would there be enough evidence in my life to convict me? John is reminding people that authentic faith in Jesus will change your life. It will change the way that you spend money. It will change the way that you treat other people, the way that you talk. Walking with Jesus will even change what's on the inside of your heart. We'll begin to be more gracious and loving and patient with other people. You know, I've got some friends of mine that are are pretty open about the way they lived life before Jesus came and and took control of their lives. Sometimes I I literally have to just scratch my head and, and take their word for it. God has changed them so much that I can't even imagine them doing some of the things that they said were a very natural, normal, regular part of their lives. And I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. Praise God that he changes our lives. Praise God that he's in the business of changing lives. And on that note, uh, I want to make sure that I encourage you never to be ashamed to let other people know where, where God has taken you and what he's brought you out of. That's not bragging, that's that's actually honoring God to help people to understand how different you are today than you used to be. And that brings us to the second and the third if we claim statements that John makes in verses eight and in verses 10. Take another look at those two verses. Verse eight, John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 10 says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Again, John is, is directly confronting the false teachers who are teaching that sin doesn't matter. John makes it clear, anyone who claims to be without sin actually deceives themselves, and even worse, they make God out to be a liar. Church, here's the truth that John is stating. You can't be a genuine follower of Jesus if you can't admit that you're a sinner. A simple definition of sin is is missing the mark. In Romans, the apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, sometimes sin involves a behavior. It's kind of external and easier to see. We do things that that God tells us that we shouldn't do. Sometimes sin involves our our inner attitudes of the heart, like hatred and unforgiveness and jealousy. Those are a little more difficult for for other people at least to see. And sometimes sin is, is more about what we don't do than what we actually do. The Bible in chapter four of the book of James says, if anyone knows the good that they ought to do but doesn't do it, that's sin. Like when when God might move our heart to be generous with someone and he kind of gives us a specific way that he wants us to do that and we don't follow through. Now, all of this talk about sin brings us back to that person and, and you might be that person who actually doubts your own salvation Because you continue to struggle with sin. And I've had a lot of conversations with people who who feel that way. Because they continue to get tripped up or or get tripped up by the same kinds of sin in their life, they they believe that maybe they aren't saved. John is certainly not writing to put a a burden on the church. What he says is actually incredibly freeing. Look at verse 9 once again. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Many, if not most of you, have heard that verse before. Church, this is an incredible truth, and I don't want you to miss it. And it's even better than the way most of us interpret this verse. While the Bible in general does talk frequently about the benefits of regularly confessing our sin to God and to other appropriate people in our lives, in this context, in 1 John, John is not saying that our sins are only forgiven if we confess them every single day or every single time that we do them. When I was younger... I can remember going to bed at night and trying to remember every single sin that I might have committed so that I can confess it to God and make sure that it was forgiven. At the end of that prayer, I might have tagged on something like, "And, and please forgive me for anything else that I've forgotten. Church, John's point here is that authentic faith involves agreeing with God. That's a simple definition of what confession is. Agreeing with God that we have, in fact, sinned, that we've missed the mark. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he said the words right before he he gave up his spirit, it is finished. And what Jesus meant by that was, it is finished. I have paid for your sins of the past, the present, and the future. Um, by faith, by acknowledging our sin and turning our lives and our control over to Jesus, we have forgiven, forgiveness for all of those sins. The things we did in our, our childhood, the things we did yesterday, the things that we're involved in right now, the things that we aren't even aware of that we'll be involved in tomorrow. It's all been paid for. There's no longer any condemnation for any of it. We have a clean record. Our offenses before God have been wiped away. That's good news. As we finish, let me give you the second of those two proof questions that can help us know that our faith is in fact real. And this is a spiritual humility question. And here it is Do I, do you, do we admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior? If there's ever been a time in your life that in humility you agreed with God that you were in fact broken, that you had sinned against him and others, and that you are in need of his forgiveness, and you desire to let him take the steering wheel of your life, then let that be a firm affirmation of your faith. Church, Genuine followers of Jesus are not sinless, but we are forgiven. Now, of course, we should never take that forgiveness for granted. We don't have in any way a license to just sin and live any way we want. In fact, while forgiveness of sin is promised, and listen to this, while forgiveness of sin is promised, protection from the consequences of sin, is not. That's why I've heard a a wise man once say, and I've heard Levi repeat often, sin will always have a price. It will always take you in places and farther than you ever intended to go. And church, that's why when there are sin issues in our life, we need to take them seriously and deal with them quickly. However, John reminds us That God is faithful and he's just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from not some, but all of our unrighteousness. I would imagine that there are some of you that are listening to this right now that truly need to make the decision to let go of some guilt or some shame from your past. I want to remind you that Jesus paid a heavy price for your sin and for my sin so that we could be absolutely free of condemnation, of shame, and of guilt. Give it to him today. Church, I'm told that there's a saying in Texas uh, that's used to describe a fake cowboy, and it goes like this Big hat, no cattle. Big hat, no cattle. It refers to the way that some guys in Texas, and I assume other places, wear a great big cowboy hat, and they drive a great big truck, and they pretend to be cowboys when, in truth, they have no idea which end of the cow the fertilizer actually is produced by. They're fake cowboys. They ain't no cowboy. None of us wants to be a fake Christian when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. For over 2,000 years, this letter that we're studying from John has served in the church as a proof test or a proof text for what authentic faith in Jesus is all about. This text today reminds us that God is 100% truthful and 100% pure. There are absolutely countless life implications for that truth alone, alone. Give some thought to that this week. And then John gives two simple questions that we can ask ourselves. Am I walking in the light? I'm not perfect, but is my life changed as a result of my relationship with Jesus Christ? And then secondly, Have I admitted that I am a sinner in need of a Savior? I would invite you as I close today to to think about both of those questions and and use it to either affirm your authentic faith in Jesus or or use it as a wake-up call to, to, to let you know, to maybe remind you that your faith actually isn't what it needs to be. And if that's you, I would just encourage and implore you to spend some time uh, doing business with God this week. Uh, Levi and I, uh, any of our elders, would love to talk to you if uh, if you want to know more about what authentic faith really looks like. Would you pray with me as I close? Lord, we thank you for the things that we've learned from your word today, and we ask that you would use them to either affirm and encourage our faith in you, Uh, or for for people who may be realizing for the first time that they actually lack genuine faith, would you draw them into a relationship as you uh, promise to make all things new within them? We love you and we thank you for your amazing love and faithfulness to us. Amen. Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
1: My righteousness just in. Oh, God, how I need.